friends, welcome to episode 165 of Storyteller Conclave. It's the show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, That's a loaded question. I'm, I'm staring across the table and you're not here, but I can hear yeah. you and I can feel you and that tells me enough. So, uh, uh, how are you feeling? It it has been it has been a rough ride, uh, the rough rough ride on the Corona roller coaster here, um, and uh, it got me good this time around. Yeah, well, this time around, it's the first time I've ever had it. But you sound man, better. It took me you down for a week. Yeah, you definitely wow. sound better than you did, and I'm I'm glad you're doing better. But you you picked that up right pretty much after the last show. Yeah, so. yeah, I really did. Like th- Thursday night, things started. Like I, I was hanging out with you guys Thursday night. Luckily, you guys didn't. You didn't catch no, all your tests. No, we're both good. Yeah. So, but like uh, Thursday night, we were hanging out at your place. I got home and thought, like, man, my throat feels a little scratchy. I must have been talking more than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by like eleven thirty that night, I was just like coughing up a lung, going like, "Oh God, here we go." Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, and I, I will say this. Feel free to take it back about 10% from your normal energy levels. It's perfectly fine, and we'll get through this show. I will but, do whatever uh, I can, and I apologize for anybody on the recording if I, if I cough and Discord does not clip it out. Yeah, hopefully we're, we're, you've been pretty good so far, So, uh, and if you feel like we're a little quiet, let us know in the live chat. But uh, I'm watching levels a little bit, so I think we'll be okay tonight. So, And you can hear me okay, Sarah? Uh, yeah, I can, I can hear you fine. Um, Wonderful. the only problem is that it's clipping a little bit if I'm talking, so if we, like, start talking over each other, I may not hear that I'm interrupting you, so I apologize. It's okay, you normally interrupt me and talk over me, and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Alright, so tonight's show, uh, was entitled Ship of Theseus. Now, I will be frank, the first time Sarah used those words while we were having this discussion, my brain went totally gray, cause I was like, these words mean something to me, but I can't remember from where. And then it all put together. And basically what we're saying here in this, and why we use this as a title, was that game systems have evolved. Uh, and I don't mean necessary evolution has gotten better. I mean, they just have changed. Uh, multiple editions, sometimes moving from one publisher to another, and not necessarily even having edition, but a re-release, if you will. Um, and that kind of adds changes into what we know and what we think we know about that system. In the in the case of Theseus and the ship of Theseus, it's a thought experiment, and there's really no right or wrong way to look at it. But the idea is, is that there is a ship of Theseus who was kept in a harbor, and if you slowly replace board by board the ship, after it's been 100% replaced, is it still the ship of Theseus? Or is it something totally different? And that's kind of what and we're going to look at. if it is something different, at what point does it become something different? Exactly, exactly. So tonight we're kind of going to examine that a little bit because it had dawned on us that we have been talking about D&D in general. We've talked about D&D as where it's come from and kind of where it's gone to and how we've evolved and changed and moved away from it and how other systems sometimes feel more like D&D than D&D even does. But there's a lot of other systems out there that kind of have the same feeling, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but D&D by, by, is by no means the only system out there. Um, you know, your your beloved 7C comes to mind in this discussion yes. quite a bit. Uh, Shadowrun, I think, is on like 7th or 8th edition now. Uh, Call of Cthulhu, I want to say the most recent edition is 7th edition. 
um, it's pretty, you know, common for major game systems to go through huge revisions. Agreed. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade went through a couple of editions and then became Vampire the Requiem, where they yes. did the New World of Darkness. Uh, now it's a kind of back to the old, but it's uh, it's Chronicles of Darkness now, but it's Vampire the Masquerade again. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. You know, and- I mean... And that's a that's a huge game system. Yeah, along, yeah. And it's taking its entire world, you know, its its entire universe along with it. Exactly. Uh, through multiple editions and revisions and changes and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So I mean, it 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 applies, and it, it begs to ask the question: like, can you define when D and D stopped being D and D? And some people would say because there was a schism early on between the original Dungeons and Dragons and what became second edition and that divide continued for a number of years beyond even that my recognition that D&D core was one system that continued progress for a number of years and in fact has had multiple revisions on its own and then second edition which then glanced off in its own direction had other editions that you know we now recognize as leading up to fifth edition but that was literally different than the core edition and I yep. Never followed that. Like, I I didn't realize core was its own thing beyond what we recognize now as D&D. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's if you look back in history, I mean, it, it, it gets real complicated uh, with the different editions and stuff of that. Um, I came into it um, – the very first game of D&D I played was uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what came before that. Uh, I mean, presumably 1st Edition, I mean, but, like, I don't know what it looked like. Uh, at least firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew D and D well enough to know that I disliked it more than Palladium, mm-hmm. which was like the first system I had ever played. Uh, then when Third Edition came out, they had changed a lot of stuff because it had moved from TSR. This is when it was bought by uh, Wizards of the Coast. Yes, yes, yes. And so, arguably, probably the biggest evolution that Dungeons and Dragons had ever had was going from second edition to third edition, mm-hmm. um, because it had changed publishers, it had changed owners, it had changed everything. Uh, they stripped out a lot of mechanics and kind of gave it a whole makeover from top to bottom. And I'm sure there were a lot of players who said this, you know, third edition is not real D and D. Real D and D is second edition. I think even one of our listeners, Technolich, even says that like verbatim. No, these uh, are huge. They they are a huge fan of uh, of 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 old school games. Yeah, OSR. Yeah, and I mean, I I was one of the people who said, "Oh, thank God, it's not second edition," because I did not like this second edition. Well, I mean, everybody like if you if you have memories of that time, the word Thacko is one of the first things that come into play, and that was you know a a a odd mechanic by any standard to try and understand. It was it was just weird math, and it turned a lot of players off instantaneously. And it was um, one of the things that hit the hit the cutting room floor yeah, when, that, uh, when third edition came out, which was again a, a telling sign that core mechanics were drastically changing to try and fit this new design, and you had a lot more. Um, how can I put it? You had more errata that came out of second edition even. And went into uh, third edition. Like second edition was notorious for the the additional splat books that came with it, uh, for for all the classes and magic and things like that. Be- these beautiful tomes, if you will. And then three comes out and almost 
I, I would say almost immediately three five. If we're dealing with you know true you know chronological time here, uh, that made even more drastic changes to the system to make it more compatible and and honestly playable. Um, and a lot of people won't even look at third edition; they'll only look at three point five. They'll they'll completely ignore it. And and not to dwell too long on that. Soon after that, we started seeing uh, the the makings of Pathfinder. Which was yep. a, a completely different system, all still based around this core concept of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tell you where uh, the, the kind of kind of moving into um, one of our main points of this whole discussion was the jump not from second to third, but from three point five to four, right? Right. Because that's the point at which I looked at that and said, "That's not D and D anymore." So, what was your first? What what was the thing about that jump specifically for D and D that made you say that? Uh, so I think for personally myself, I I was evolving a lot as a gamer myself, mm-hmm. um, and kind of learning what I did and did not like out of systems and whatnot. Uh, but uh, I think World of Warcraft was very big at the time. Um, it was like really at its at its huge peak, and a lot of the buzz around Fourth Edition was that like, oh, they tried to turn it into an MMO. And looking at how some of the uh the abilities worked, and it was like you had like encounter abilities, and uh, you know, twice per encounter, three times per encounter. Mm-hmm. You're, it basically it was like you had abilities that had cooldowns, mm-hmm. and it felt to me like they had homogenized things to a certain extent that, like, it didn't feel like you were role-playing anymore. These These abilities were not there designed to emulate fantastical elements of fantasy superheroes that you could live in the lives of and role play in these strange and fantastic worlds it felt like they were giving you buttons to push to do the damage with yes i i 100 agree with that analogy i remember fourth edition being described as an mmo uh as 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 a as a paper video game where you literally could just push buttons which honestly made it very easy to transition it to digital versions of it um, sure. We had Baldur's Gate that came through that at that time, and we had uh, uh, what was the other one that was huge? Um, I can't even. Baldur's Gate? No, Baldur's Gate was second edition. Was second? I'm sorry, it was second edition. Uh, the the fourth, uh, third, three point five and four was uh, Neverwinter. Neverwinter Nights. Nights. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, which was huge. And again, they the transition to that system to that to a game system was not hard. It was no, not a challenge. You, you could easily see the game in it. And it, it brought it back to a tactical, warlike game and less about role play. I mean, sure, you were still making, you know, uh, skill checks, but those, the skill checks were minor. You know, they were, they were, it was a mechanic to get through something, right? And so it did feel a lot like a video game. And I think in that sense, we drifted away from that ephemeral role play edge where narrative luxuries were taken outside of the tactical moments of the game. You know, mm-hmm. where D&D was a giant step away from, uh, you know, table warfare or even small unit warfare. It was an individual controlling an individual mini. And at times, not even the mini. 
you know, we were not even on a board. It was unnecessary, you know? Yeah. And yeah. now we were pulling back to that, th that most of the mechanics of the game were derived around you physically pushing a mini around a table again within turns. And was it D and D at that point? Did, did we now move away from what we were, what D and D was trying to get to? Right, and that's and that's the thing, like the the, the crux of the of the question, um, and that's kind of how we're we're coming from with the ship of the Theseus, ship of Theseus is like, how many of those planks of wood did they replace in the D and D boat before it was no longer the D and D boat anymore? Right, you know, and, and it still said D and D on the side of it, and what we imagined D and D to be. I mean, you and I did right. not start D and D. We did not start with D and D. We really didn't. Mm -hmm. We started at a different point. We had a vision of what D&D &D was based upon people who talked to us about it and what we believed it to be. These fantastic stories. We had a cartoon showing us what D&D &D was, you know, yeah. to a degree. Yeah. And in that sense, I think we were told something that look, that this is what the ship of Theseus looks like. And when we got there and looked in the harbor and saw all these mechanical changes going on constantly, and we're like, is that what we're supposed to be believing it to be? And right, I think right. that was my confusion, and that's why you and I have this vision of what we think D&D &D is, and that strong belief that it's this almost Lord of the Rings-style game, and now that we have this beautiful movie that represents... You know, set of movies that represent the books to a degree and have given us that that common feeling of going out in the world, having an adventure, returning to safety, going out and adventuring more, you know, in this in this epic world. Is that what D&D &D was or is, you know, was it, it ever? Well, it, it, no, here's the here's the thing, though, is it, I mean, is it. And that, that's really the main question. It's like, where where does the soul of a game system lie? Because for me, it was the mechanics that changed, that, that, that didn't do Like, you could still tell the stories, like, you know, for, for me, like, you know, Willow is D&D. &D. Legend is D&D. &D. Yes. Uh, you know, Tolkien is D&D. &D. You know, uh, I mean, they're all different feels for those sort of things. Uh, you know, the, 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 the dragon. Yeah. So the you know the, the dragons dragonlance novels those are D and D to me you know yes um and then I think when I picked up fourth edition uh, or didn't pick up fourth edition I should say it was because I looked at it and said World of Warcraft is not D and D mm -hmm. and that's what this is you know um so for me that was that was through the through the like I don't think there's anything stopping you from telling those types of stories with fourth edition D and D right. Mm -hmm. Like, you can still do your typical fantasy, you know, your Willow, your Legend, your, your Tolkien. You can still do that in 4th edition D&D. I'm sure. I'm sure it's a perfectly nice game. But what just was it that crossed a line there in the system? In what, how the system told you it wanted to be played about what type of story it wanted you to tell with its mechanics that made you decide that it was not worth the trouble then to then try to tell the same types of stories with this different set of mechanics. And for me, I think it was the fact that the system effectively st was starting to tell the game from a tactical 
turn by turn uh mechanic set. Yeah. Like I'm going to yeah. simplify things to a degree that anyone has accessibility to this even if they don't understand how to play D&D from a role playing aspect they can tactically enjoy this game and sit down with their friends and play. And I yeah. I I think it did it a disservice because it pulled it away from the narrative. Instead of allowing the narrative to be there, they they cut away too much mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and simplified the mechanics too much to basically say it's not the same system. We're trying something completely different. And by fifth edition they shifted it again. And yeah. and fifth yeah. edition feels like a version of three five to a degree, but also feels like it's it's lost a lot of its bloat. It's simplified mm-hmm. itself to a degree. Like I I beg to ask the question of of how much more D and D could change, how much more simple they could go with it now, from where they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I and I I I wonder about that a little bit. Um, uh. So that's did you do you want to jump to that topic actually? Um, I know I've kind of got them in the reverse order of kind of how we're hitting them here in the in the discussion. No, no, do you no. Want to down, to, down to number two and talking about um, uh, the iconic parts of their systems stunting their growth. Sure, and then we can we can pick another system right after this. So that's not a big deal. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, so you're talking about how like you know uh, Dungeons and Dragons you know has changed a lot over mm-hmm. the years. Um, and how, you know, some, some parts of it still look like all older editions and whatnot. And that's what got me kind of thinking about this topic in the first place, um, was looking at Dungeons and Dragons and realizing that you don't ever use the ability scores. No. All your, your, your attribute scores. Attribute scores. Yeah. You realize that? I cannot think of, I, I, I played a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons the fifth edition. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single instance where you use the actual attribute score mm-hmm. instead of the ability modifier. Yeah. Your ability modifier and your proficiency. So you're using a number to derive another number and then using that other number. Mm-hmm. The entire time. The entire time. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that I mean, core set. Straight up why? Yeah, because the, the core set of numbers are what make D&D. They're iconic to the system. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you didn't have strength, dexterity, constitution, in wisdom, and, and charisma, um, all ranked on a ostensibly 3 to 18, you know, obviously sometimes we go over those, you know, some yeah. of that, but, you know, your 3 to 18 sort of system here, um, if you didn't have that, it wouldn't – that's one of those core things that, like, somehow it's iconic to the system. It wouldn't feel like D&D. If you no. moved to just ability modifiers, mm-hmm. y- you'd have a lot of people pulling the plug on it. Well, I, I, I think you would to a degree. I think there would be a lot of people who'd be like, what the heck is this? Like, how do I figure out how much damage I do, you know, or how much my damage modifier is? But the the whole well, point is is that all of that is still derived. Right, right, but well, um, what I'm saying is it doesn't change. Mm-mm. Like, what if instead of having a 18 strength, you just had a plus four? Yep. 
If your strength was just plus four, you you never the word the, the the number eighteen never figured into it. Right. You'd have the exact same outcome. The game works exactly mechanically because the eighteen never does anything other than give you that plus four. Right. Right. You know. And your attribute so, modifications for balance. I mean, let's talk about this for a second. If I'm going ahead and leveling, and one of the things I can do is either I can pick a new power, you know, because that's my freebie, or I can raise an attribute. It doesn't raising that attribute value may not change anything, yeah, depending exactly. on if it's in between. So how is that beneficial? How it's how does none. that how how is that actually and adding anything or adding value to the level or changing the game? You it's might not. as well just tell tell the feat to be like uh, plus one to plus one to your strength modifier. Yeah, and it would have the exact same outcome. Yeah, you know exactly exactly. I I and I I dare say that there's probably discussions about that being had between the system uh, and and tooling people at the mechanics side uh, just to say, like, do we just get rid of this and simplify it and, 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 and explain that that's what we're doing here? Yep, yep. But once I started seeing that about Dungeons & Dragons, um, it got me thinking about, like, other game systems. What other game systems out there have these, like vestigial mechanics mm-hmm. that are just carried from one game or from one edition to the next to the next to the next because not because it does anything or not even because it functions well in any sort of way in fact it may be one of the things dragging the uh dragging the game down but it has to remain because it's 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 iconic to the game system palladium you know? the first thing that comes into my mind in palladium is the sheer amount of equipment weapons vehicles all having very precise specific stats range yeah, yeah. Uh, range damage uh ammo types uh clip sizes you know these are, are are finite details mechanical details that are added to the game that are often just not used like if if i'm playing if i'm honestly playing rifts uh, and someone, you know, has a, you know, or, or a Palladium game in general, you know, TMNT, Rifts, uh, or even, you know, generic sci-fis, you know, the, the superhero types games. If a Uzi hits the ground, I need to know which one and what bullets are in it. Yeah. To be yeah. able to, and that's, that's bulky. That's, it's ridiculous. And it really doesn't change the game much, especially when you're dealing with SDC and MDC. That's really the two numbers that matter. Is it hitting the person or is it hitting a vehicle? Yeah. Like, beyond that, like, it really doesn't – it doesn't add any value to the game other than it's a neat thing. Mm -hmm. But it's it's been carried through so much and and dragged through – Palladium's thing. been around forever, yeah. yeah like a really and they've, never, they've never stopped and been like, should we clean this stuff up? <laughs> now, is this really necessary? No, no, it's, but it's no. part of it. And I'm not saying that for someone who loves that technical detail and loves having those types of things, bend into it. But yeah, the real yeah. question is, is, is it adding value to the generality of the system? And the answer is no, it really doesn't. So for me, uh, it was Shadowrun. Okay. Uh, what came to mind? Okay, which um, part of Shadowrun? Because there's a lot, like all of it. 
I, I mean, pr- look, primarily the multiple levels of complexity uh, comparable to to Palladium in a lot of ways where okay. – uh, you know, you make your to hit roll, they make their evasion roll, then you make your damage roll, then they make their soak roll, then you make a, <laughs> and that's all just to just to shoot someone, you know. Well, I mean, um, and, and then you've got your ridiculous modifier stacks on top of that that have to do with, you know, do you have a smart gun link? You know, are they behind cover? You know, yeah, what yeah, kind yeah. of again, what kind of ammo are you using? Is it armor piercing or are you using gel rounds? You know. You know, right. are you doing shock damage, you know? And and what's interesting is is that the Shadowrun system is compatible technically based on just dice alone with what World of Darkness became. Like World of Darkness looked at Shadowrun to get its pools and ideas. You can see a lot of that transition there. But it's it's a totally different system, but runs the same risks, you know? And but Shadowrun just leaned into it. Hard. Well, that's the thing is Shadowrun does this like edition after edition after edition. I think, like I said, they're on they're on like seventh or eighth now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw a big discussion. I was keeping an eye on Shadowrun because mm-hmm. I I did play a bit of it back like in second edition. And oh, I, I love second really edition. Like the world and the story, mm-hmm. but I don't. I I I can't play it. <laughs> you know. Uh, and I saw a big discussion about uh, someone was like, "Hey, I wanted to play Shadowrun, but I don't want to play Shadowrun." Um, what do I do about this? And there was a lot of good uh, discussions. Uh, somebody who was, uh, myself included, suggested doing something like Interface Zero mm-hmm. uh, or Netrunner or Sprawl Runners uh, with uh, um, Savage Worlds. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but there was a, kind of a, a side discussion that took place of like, hey, I respect your decision not to want to play Shadowrun, but, but wanting to play a Shadowrun-like game. But may I ask... Why don't you just want to play Shadowrun? Um, and a really great discussion took place about basically how, like, 6th edition Shadowrun is mm-hmm. literally unplayable. <laughs> and I don't mean literally unplayable in that, like, pedantic gamer, uh, oh, these textures don't line up. This game is literally <laughs> unplayable. I'm I'm talking, like, rules do not have clarifications and they have clear contradictions in them, mm-hmm. and there is, there has never been a satisfactory answer, and there was not nearly enough playtesting. The game system, under certain circumstances, is literally unplayable. Well, I mean, we, we see that when new editions come out, especially of these, these massive games, where mm-hmm. they've had edition after edition after edition, that a lot of times... This, the 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 game designers will just leave something out because in their head it's there, it's what they've always done. Uh, we saw this with BattleTech, where like if you look up certain rules in, I I'm not gonna say the current errata that they just released, like the current edition they just released, uh, at the current version level that like the ones that we've been looking at, but mm-hmm. one back from that. There were whole sections which, that were t- that were confusing because they were either using an old – like a statement was just one rule off about missiles. And like you compared that to the missile discussion and you're like, wait, these these aren't the same. Like why do these wh- – why does it handle differently under this specific set of, set of, of rulings for, for making a crit but it doesn't do the same thing if I'm just firing them – Normally, like, wait a second, something's not adding up here. And it's because they made, someone made an assumption and carried something over and or just 
omitted a section because they assumed somebody had written it somewhere else. Yeah, uh, Seventh Sea yeah. was notorious for this. There's there's a couple sections about brutes uh, and how they can be how they can uh, 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 that they don't take wounds in one of the books. Like there's no discussion about it about how they take wounds and when they fall. So technically, brutes are immortal. You so know, because there's no rules for them, there's them no taking rules wounds, yeah. for, them to, for taking there's, a wound. The, yep. uh, the, the, the ever famous, uh, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse page XX. Yes, yes, yes. And, and um, it's stuff like that, that, that gets left out because we're moving from edition to edition and you've got so many people involved and so much is just assumed as but, you're moving but, through it. But my, my, my point about Shadowrun though is that it feels like every edition, um, they do the kind of the same thing where it's like, okay, 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 okay. we understand we overcomplicated things, guys, and we understand that our game gets so bogged down in mechanics that nobody wants to wants to, wants to interact with it. Cool. Here's a new edition. We cleaned things up. We streamlined it, mm-hmm. and it's the same drek over and over again. <laughs> Like, of grab step one, grab a bucket of D six. Mm-hmm. Step two, add in seventeen different floating modifiers. Step threes through seventeen is D six pool rules. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and like to me, this is this is the greatest example of that. Like, what are you? What part of your game system are you just hanging on to because it's you know iconic, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to your you know that well that's Shadowrun. Well, yeah, maybe if your system is broken, what you need to throw out is the whole system, mm-hmm. you know? Obviously, yeah. you know, rolling buckets of D6 for five hours to adjudicate one combat is not working out for people. And then you come out with another addition to try to streamline that, and you do the same thing over and over again. That's like the definition of insanity, you know? You're mm-hmm. expecting different results. Yeah. And- so. Could they could they do something like a move to you know like second edition to third edition D and D? Could they quote unquote remove Thacko in the Shadowrun sense? You know, yeah. And Would people still play that? I think, and I think that's the, the the real question is is does it still feel like Shadowrun? Mm-hmm. And is the feeling part of the mechanics? Like you and I both have a vision of how the game feels. You yeah. have a you have your your social and connective roots between the characters, which are made up by the Johnson doing a job, completing a job together, and becoming rich or famous or 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 heroic. Right. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. then have underlying and and pinning through that this idea that each one of you is unique and sure. can do effectively anything. But you have a role to play within within that group, you know, that where you should be good at a job. You're you're, you're technically doing a heist style situation, and therefore you have to have a role in that. You know, if everybody are street samurai, sure, you could do something in Shadowrun for that, but it's not going to feel the same. Um, mm-hmm. Yet the game completely allows for that, but it leans toward a direction. Of how you should play that. Um, likewise with D&D. If you went roleless, If there were no longer classes. There were just backgrounds. That's it. Oh god. Talk would dirty it, to me. Would it, would it be D&D because no longer can you walk to a table where people are playing and say like, Hey, what do you guys need? 
because they can't just be like a cleric, <laughs> right? Exactly, because the cleric isn't a cleric anymore. Like, yeah, where, yeah, and I think that was maybe where we, where things leaned hard on fourth was that not only did they move to MMOs, but they were literally trying to force roles. They were going from yeah, they class. had like strikers yes. and tanks, and I, I don't remember. Like, the, I remember strikers was one of the things that they had, like strikers, blasters, controllers, right. And again, that's very MMO, but it's also very, you know, you know, what what's the pug, you know, for 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 D and D for this encounter? Like, what should we have? Well, we need a tank, we need a healer, we need a DPS, and we need crowd control. Oh, okay, great. There now we can go on our raid, you know, yeah. effectively, and that's yeah, that exactly. was D, what D and D became. But that's not what D and D is. But on all honesty. That's what kind of Shadowrun is. It's that with this overlay of of comedy and hijinks, you know, that adds on to it. That's how it's always felt. But the system doesn't support that in the same direction. It gives you the options for it and then leaves that option book wide open. Mm-hmm. Now, alternatively, this is where I'm going to take a shift because you asked me to talk about 7C. Yeah. And, and first edition to second edition is a big difference. There are a lot of changes that they made between those, and it iconically changed the system. Some people for, say for the good, some people say for the bad. Is is it more 7C? In my opinion, after playing first edition, I will say no. It is not. That being said... Is second edition a good place to start with 7C if you want a narrative storytelling game? And the answer is sure. And with, I, a, with a big question mark at the with end. With a big it. question mark at the end of it, and that's only because there's a lot of assumptions in 7C second edition. There's a yeah, lot of yeah. assumptions. And there's a lot of vestigial things that carry over. The game has a feeling of almost a powered by the apocalypse game. Where you have, when you step into a situation, you are, you, you, you're given a, a moment, you know, where this is a moment that matters, right? This is where roles are going to have to be made. Cause up to this point, it's just been conversational, right? Everything's kind of this, as I like to put it, ephemeral narrative, you know, where we're all just sitting around having a conversation. And now we're getting to a point where roles matter. Okay. So now you're in a action sequence and we're going to have to make roles. So, I'm going to tell you the scene, and then you're going to give me the approach that your character is going to take. And then after that, we're, you know, we're going to all make roles based on our approach. And whoever has the most successes is the one who goes first. And that's going to change the tone of the scene. And now you have to change your approach, but you can't. Until you're done with your raises and everybody's done with their raises and spent all their stuff and then we can, we can, we can shift approach. And that just feels mechanically weird to me for 7C. Yeah. 7C is a very heroic game where I may open with a shot from my rifle, you know, and then thugs start pouring in and now it moves from me being, you know, the Han Solo character who just chased down two stormtroopers to the dude who is now looking at 40 stormtroopers is now in the reverse chase. You know, I am the one being chased. You know, and I might have to try and get my way out of it. You know, 
that's the iconic vision that I have of 7th C. It is a very heroic game, and this kind of changes that. Not only that, they changed the dice mechanics. Now, instead of there's a target number, and I roll all of my pool of dice and keep what I can to give myself a total, I'm given a dice pool, and then I have to make sets of 10. Yeah, so, like, if you roll, like, 5, 3, 6, 8, 2, right? Right. Like your eight and your two become a ten, mm-hmm. so you set those two dice aside. Yep. Um, and like you don't get change made, <clears throat> so like your five and your six get put together, mm-hmm. and that becomes an eleven, which is more than ten. It's still a set of ten. Yep. But that one is just lost. Yep. And that three gets stranded because you can't do anything with it, so that's lost. Yep. Now what's worse is, <clears throat> so you make two successes, uh, two raises out of that, right? In, in a normal game, you probably would have gotten three. In a first edition, you would have gotten three raises, or, or three raises out of that. But, so you have these two raises to either do an action, the thing you want to do, or handle a consequence, or take an opportunity. So now fate is really shifted around. Now you have to have, now you have to make options and decisions on the fly of what you're going to do because you have your your approach is either very good or or not so good, and the idea is, is that you're going to have all of these raises sitting around for you to play with, and then a bunch of dice left over that the storyteller can buy from you to do bad things with. So if you leave dice on the table, now the storyteller can buy them from you. There's just so much of the dice mechanics that are like, well, it sucks to suck. Exactly. Um, and and that and that falls directly against that like heroic swashbuckling feel, you know. Yeah. You know, if I roll an entire dice pool of I don't know, let's let's be realistic, uh, fours, right? So I have yeah. six dice and I roll fours on all of my dice. I may only get one raise out of that because I'm one under what it what it would be for two raises or two under, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now I've got a bunch of dice sitting around that I can't spend that the DM can just buy off of me mm-hmm. and turn into hell, you know? <laughs> and and that's yeah, the thing yeah. is now the DM has these danger dice that can be used to make things even more challenging or make the henchman do specific things or the villain do cer- activate certain things or or have the brute squad do certain things and cause more damage. So it's... There's all these pieces that go into play that are very dice heavy, and yet, like reading through it, you're thinking that everyone is going to be making, you know, five to six raises off of their dice pools, and and spending hero points to make things happen, which effectively used to be drama dice, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's there's all these heavy dice mechanics that feel unfateful. For not faithful, fateful for the hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 puts it in a direction, a a, a clear and present nosedive, if you will. Like if I have a villain who fires a gun at a at a hero, right? That's their action. They they spend a raise to fire the gun and hit a hero. There's no dodge for that bullet. They can soak the wounds, but not the critical hit. That hit them, that caused a dramatic wound. That dramatic wound happens. Yeah, yeah. And you don't get many dramatic wounds as a hero. So 
it's meant to be very weighty. And they're like, whoa, 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 don't worry about that because firearms can only be fired like once and then it takes five raises to reload. Buddy, it only takes once. Right. With a firearm. Yeah, and so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of understanding, like, uh, having, I mean, I've only ever played the 7C first edition with you. Mm-hmm. We played one session of seventh, uh, second edition together. Mm-hmm. Um, so not nearly enough to get a good, a good bearing on the, uh, on the system. I, I don't want to get too lost in the weeds of what the no, mechanics no, no. of 7C, uh, second edition are here. Um, it, but I gotta say those two game sessions felt completely different. Yeah. From what we were playing in in first edition, what we were playing in second edition, and from what you're describing here, it sounds like there was a distinct move from like high adventure heroics, where you could really pull off a lot of cool, um, cool stunts, and your character could be very flashy and very, you know, I mean, panache was a was an attribute, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> for the love of God, panache was an attribute, um. And it kind of took it to this very um, almost dour sort of system that where there's just a lot of pitfalls you can fall into and a lot of the power is taken out of your hands as a player or yeah. as a character, I, yeah. I should say. Yeah, it, it definitely has that tone, um, mm-hmm. but it was also seen as a simplification, right? Like we're going to simplify how you create characters. We're going to simplify – uh, the aspects of of your character down to it so that you can role play more of your character and worry less about the mechanics and then these mechanics got kind of jumbled like there's no balance against a duelist if literally a duelist steps up to your group and there isn't a duelist in your group to handle that duelist you're probably dead there's no good way to handle them they are literally going to mop the floor with you huh because the mechanics for dueling are just ridiculous. They're designed to be that way. And right, right. it's it, it's a, a playback to the first edition dueling and, and going back and forth. And there's even text in it where it says, like, if you're a duelist of an academy and, you know, you will recognize another duelist of the same academy after their first move. But that's it. It's flavor text. There's nothing to tell you, like, because of that, you'll get some benefit or something. No. That's it. You just know that they're using that style. Right, right. And it's it's that kind of legacy flavor that lends to your, like, well, there, was there a reason why you stated that? You know? Or, or was it just for flavor? And the answer is, it's trying to feel like first edition. There's those mm-hmm. aspects. And... The way that the lore changed. Like, the book doesn't feel the same. The setting even shifted. It's ahead in time, but even that movement of ahead in time has changed the way they looked at the past and what happened in the past. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's a significant thing. Um, I think that's another piece that kind of falls into play that uh, I think to a degree has a weight in this discussion. Um and that is uh, – and I'm going to move to uh, – away from 7C and talk about uh, World Darkness. World of Darkness um, was birthed uh, at a time when uh, OSR were, were starting to see 
new these new indie style games coming through and it relied a lot on on other mechanics to really come together with this idea of pools and things like that and one of the things that was iconic about uh, World of Darkness was the world itself how much of it was designed around this this dark this hidden society that sat behind the, the just behind the veil if you will that opened up a lot of doors of discussion about religion which then opened up a lot of discussion about you know uh, persecution and and belief and faith because that's really what the system was about and when new publishers came to it and looked at it they were like ooh there is some stuff in here we should not have like in at this day and age we should not be discussing faiths certain faiths and certain things this way because we're talking about religious persecution and showing that historically in in a, in a light where players can play with that and it wasn't a comfortable topic it wasn't presented in a way where it, that is something that should be discussed and understood and and as as something that shouldn't happen you know or something that was wrong it was just presented as like oh this is what's going on in the world right now you may be involved you know with this religious persecution oh should we be and that changes the tone so in requiem uh it shifted they got rid of it they straight up just abolished that ex the existence of that the, that uh, media and then did not let any uh, any further publishing be done or, or work being done on that setting that side of the setting and that changed a, a giant feel of the game it was no longer this feeling of of faith and understanding and acceptance uh within yourself it was something else yeah yeah i mean when i was reading about it uh, about uh ryan hagen and how he started with the idea of cain he even said the game and the world became about religion and belief and the whole world of darkness was figuring out how people believe strongly in something when others didn't believe at all and that was the kind of exploration that was sitting behind the game so when you look at the the game design that then has evolved from that, do you think Vampire still feels like that? I'm not. I, and see, okay, here's the thing about Vampire and me is I'm not sure I ever knew what Vampire was supposed to feel like. Exactly. Um, I mean, Vampire itself has gone through so many evolutions, I'm not sure it knows what it's supposed to feel like. But... Uh, uh, I actually I want to get to the questions um, because Nevim asked a lot of really great ones, and I and I will answer the question about your question about vampire mm -hmm. within those questions. Okay, okay, I'm I'm down with that. I'm down okay. with that. All right, so uh, Nevim, not knowing how this uh, this this discussion was going to uh, unfold, <laughs> shotgunned a lot of questions at us. Um, is a game defined by its mechanics? Uh, yes and no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, in that the mechanics tell you what it wants you to focus on within your story, how it wants those 
events to unfold and what mechanics it gives you to do so with. So, based upon that statement, number one, paranoia. Is the game defined by its mechanics? Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bef- before we go jumping in, I want to continue this, though. Okay, okay. Second part of the question, by its lore? Yes. Also, yes. I will say yes. By the playing intention? More so than either of the two. Right. Okay. By the playing experience? No. We've all seen, mm, I don't know, because we've all seen those memes where it's like, you know, what we planned on, what actually happened, you know? Right, right. We're, we're going to play Vampire the Masquerade, what we planned on, and it's like, you know, the vampire, Lestat. <laughs> what actually happened, How we met, how, what we do in the shadows. <laughs> but at the same time, like, uh, I know a lot of people who absolutely love uh, certain systems, and I can't touch them. Because mm-hmm. I've just had horrible experiences with storytellers. Sure, sure. And so I, I don't think the playing experience benefits the game. N- no, I disagree. I think we're not talking about whether it benefits it or not. We're talking about what defines it. Hmm. And for you, you can't touch certain game systems because of an experience you've had. That defines the game system for you. It's a bad system because you had a bad experience. That is that is word for word what Nevim implies. Okay. I think this is an amazing question because the answer to all of these is yes. Okay. And the answer okay. to all of these is also no. Yeah, okay. So what makes the identity of a game then? Where is the soul of the game? And I think it's in all of these things. I think it's the sum of its parts, you know? That's fair. That's fair. It's not just for, it's not just the iconic logo. It's not just the mechanics. It's not just a a playthrough you watch. Nor is it your storyteller doing a good or a bad job. Yeah, it's all of those things. That's fair. That's fair. Um, are you still playing the same same game? If you switch game systems, for example, Vampire the Masquerade has been ported to GURPS. Are they the same game? Uh, I know I'm as a huge Savage Worlds fan. Uh, Rifts and Pathfinder have both been ported officially as an officially supported product to uh, Savage Worlds. Uh, Deadlands is likewise no longer its own uh, game mechanics. It is played in Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. Um, are those the same game? Are you still playing Rifts if you're playing Savage Rifts? I think, I guess, if the lore, the intention, and the playing experience is the same, then yes. You've got enough of the parts. I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm really not sure. Um, Because for me, for me, game mechanics are are a very important component, right? Like, I, I, I say practically every single show, games teach you how they want you to play them, right? Sure. They lean into certain uh, aspects of storytelling. There are certain things that the, that the mechanics are there to bring to the forefront. Um, Vampire the Masquerade had a lot of those games, of, of those systems uh-huh. where, uh, like, humanity, uh, yeah. you're 
the the disciplines being written in very particular ways uh, that that allowed you to you know. Uh, move very fast or be very strong or blend into the shadows or turn into bats and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that you would get the same, like, you could still sit there and play a game of Vampire the Masquerade where you were playing a Malkavian Camarilla vampire in the city of New York, whatever, mm-hmm. with the GURP system. But to me... I feel like playing it in GURPS would make it too – it would feel generic. It would feel like the serial numbers are filed off in some way, you know? I agree. I don't think it was the – I don't think it would be the right system for it. But just as much as, like, we talk about the One Ring is a better system for D&D than yeah. D&D. So if I'm now playing D&D or Dragonlance in – uh, in the one ring using that system, is it, is it D&D? No, you're still playing one ring. Okay. You're just, you're just doing a different setting with it. I think that's fine. Okay. 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 All right, Sarah. All right, Sarah. Yeah. I, so I, right. I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that you're not playing Vampire the Masquerade. You'd just be playing vampires with GURPS. You'd be playing GURPS Vampire. See, and I think that's a distinct product. I, I, I kind of, I'm kind of going back to the Savage World saying, like, I don't think Savage Rifts is the same game as Rifts. I don't think Savage Pathfinder is the same game is as 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 Pathfinder. So you're you know? saying that my Savage Seas is not going to be Seventh C? Yeah, and I think that's great. Okay. Okay. Like, I, it's it's not going to be seven C if you no. wanted to play, and, and you're and and you're not even going to say it's seven C because if you wanted to play seven C, we'd be playing seven C, Rob. That's very true. But we're not. We're playing Savage C, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You made that choice deliberately for a reason. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get into those reasons, but there's something different in your in in your assessment about using Savage World system to play that type of story than there is about playing 7C set first edition. But I think we're also seeing that those specific things happen all over the place. People grabbing systems and homebrewing their existence around it. And it's becoming it's just, super popular. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. There's nothing wrong with it at all. Yep. But I, I, I do contend that, and especially after answering this first question, I think the game, the, the game system itself, the mechanics behind it, are an intrinsic part of the gaming experience. And you may not have a better or worse experience doing it with a different system, but you are going to have a different experience with a different system. All right. So I'm going to lean into this last question a little bit so because we, we have a little bit of time left to crap it. And that sure. is, are all players of D&D 5th Edition pay, playing the same game? And my answer is, oh, heck no. No. Heck no. Absolutely not. Or anyone is playing alternative versions of it. Of course they are. Everybody plays alternative versions of it. Indeed, anybody reading the game system is going to interpret it and would make slight changes to it. People do slight changes all the time. We we see it all the time. Even if it's minor changes, like, I want this to feel more realistic, so therefore I'm going to change that people can't make long rests except for in shelter, true shelter. Yeah. And they only can make... They can only get as many short rests as they have uh, proficiency. Or yeah, Hulubu on our on our Discord was yep. uh, was was talking about that uh, just a couple days ago. Um, I was a little down and out, so I wasn't able to really get into mm-hmm. the discussion. But uh, 
but yeah, like, how do I make realistic more combat more realistic in D and D? Like, will it still be D and D after all? I don't know. That's a big question, but you know. yeah. And 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 that's hmm. that's a serious question because that happens all mm-hmm. the time. And the answer is you're making it for your table. Yeah, you're gonna always make adjustments for your table. That happens all the time. We yeah. look at things, well, we make adjustments because our players either want things to be more heroic, less heroic, more gritty, less gritty. You know, uh, you know, uh, how many times have we seen storytellers like I? I'm gonna make magic different in my world. It's gonna be hard yeah. to get. You know, I've done that. I've done yeah. that. Yeah, or, or just because like magic solves every problem, right? Well, in my mm-hmm. world, it doesn't. It comes with a price. You know. And I ran a ran a game uh, in third uh, third edition D anD D where uh, right after the the Call of Cthulhu D twenty book came out, uh-huh. and I loved the magic system in that in that so much that I uh, I, I homebrewed uh, my campaign. Uh, I said you couldn't play a wizard; wizards were off the book. Uh, but anybody can learn magic, and if you do, we're using the rules out of Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Uh, and it was basically like every spell had a stat damage to it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you can cast this spell, but it lowers your strength by two. Yeah. Keep going. How how long do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's a cost. Uh, you can cost it over and over. Some cost sanity. Some cost intelligence. You know, mm-hmm. some were big, some were small. But uh, yeah, you, everybody can learn spells, but they all had a cost to them. So let's let's wrap discussion here a little bit and, and kind of bring ourselves back into this. So so yeah, are, are all players of D and D for the edition playing the same game? No, and that includes the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And yep. and. Even story to story with that storyteller, they're not going to keep playing D anD D the same way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, you go from one 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 story that wants to be gritty, one that wants to be uh, light and rompy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be playing with two different sets of house rules. I guarantee it. Yeah. So, ship of Theseus. If you remove all the parts of a game system and completely rebuild it, is it still the game same game system? If you change the lore, you alter the rules, you uh, you change the feel of the story, and you you know uh, you either give more access to the storyteller to make changes, or you take that away from them and make it a very uh, finite, detailed system for how they have to play as a storyteller. Does it does it make a difference? I mean, I I think I think we've proven it does. Yeah. Yeah, and yet we still will call it the same thing. Sure. Well. So sure. <laughs> and then we'll all just skip that edition until they learn their lesson and they come out with third edition and they do it better next time. Right. And and the other thing I have to say to this is is part of the discussion that I think this kind of really puts forth and that is when you're watching something on TV uh, online or you're listening to someone talk to you about how to run your game better or try this or something like that, those are suggestions from their point of view about that system. It's very different than ours. Yeah. So our next week's show, we're going to be... Uh, God, what is next week's show? It is a Storyteller 101. It's going to be the first Wednesday of the month. We're talking about campaign flow. There we go. So we have we have talked about how to write plots, write adventures, you know, get your, your story moving and whatnot, and tell little chunks of story. This time we're talking about how to string those chunks together into something that looks like a campaign. You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave, on MixLR, like you're listening possibly right now, at MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. You can also join us at our Discord. We really like that. You can find our link on our Twitter or on our website at StorytellerConclave.com. 
want to pick up a big shout out to our Patreon, uh, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Vedran, and Hulavu. Thank you so much for helping us month after month keep uh, keep the show going and share these uh, great topics with you. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. We'd like to give a big shout out to our families, Vicky and Sean, for helping us every single week. All of our friends who have given us games to play and different ones at that. And you, our listeners, we love you. We love you so much. Good night. Good night.